stories carry with them great power. They can transport us into the light and into the dark. And into a place in between, a land of shadows. It is in this land where the macabre and the strange reign. With tales of terror. Tales of hope. Tales of the whimsical. And the weird. These are stories told in the shadows. And we are the Shadow Storytellers. Nothing brings out quite the same range of spectators as a certain kind of trial. The one we are about to observe, soaked in blood, tears, and claims of violent self-defense in the face of satanic witchcraft, has sparked passion and wrath not only on Earth, but from worlds above and below. In this courtroom, two cosmic beings will bend the laws of every realm in pursuit of unlikely justice, no matter what the personal cost may be. Come join them in the best seats in the house, in a story we call A Nice Boy from a Good Family. It was the fifth day of the trial, and it was finally time for the defendant to take the stand. It had been an unconventional courtroom experience for many, for not only did the defense not deny the accusations made toward their client, they actively embraced them. They made it quite clear that more than two years ago, on October 31, 2019, then-16-year-old Derek Strauss attended a Halloween party thrown by a handful of other kids from his school, and that at one point in the evening, he ran out to his car, retrieved a semi-automatic rifle and knife, and proceeded to kill eight of them over the course of the night in a series of violent, bloody murders. They called it a necessity. They called it self-defense. They said he had no choice but to do what he had done. After all, what else could someone be expected to do when they were trapped in a house full of satanic witches wanting to sacrifice them to their dark lord? It was a trial that, quite naturally, attracted a lot of attention. To many, he was a survivor of a wicked generation that had left him no alternative. These people marched in front of the courthouse with signs demanding that he be set free. His most innocent school pictures affixed images of the saints of old reminding the world that he was a handsome, nice boy from a good family who could only have done something like this if it were the truly righteous thing to do. To others, he was a monster who had cruelly hunted down and murdered eight of his classmates in cold blood. They remembered well the very different pictures of him that had made the rounds on social media after the massacre, the ones of him being led away from the scene of the crime splattered with blood, his eyes calculatedly haunted, while a faint grin curled at the corners of his lips and they wanted his crimes to be addressed accordingly. They predicted that this boy's privilege and skin color would ensure his freedom, and by all accounts it looked like they would soon be proven right. That blood-splattered boy from the pictures was unrecognizable as the one the media had gotten to see over the course of the trial. Wearing a smart suit that was nearly as expensive as the suits his team of lawyers wore, he looked handsome and confident. His blonde hair was neatly trimmed, combed and gelled, and his skin evenly tanned, giving him a vaguely athletic, outdoorsy look that played well with the judge, jury, and his many female admirers on social media. He had gotten some criticism in the early days of the trial for looking unrepentant, even laughing or looking angry when certain pieces of evidence were presented. But by the time it was his turn to take the witness stand, none of that perceived arrogance showed through. Sitting on the stand, he wept. Tears streamed down his face as his lips quivered and his words came out haltingly. 
All I wanted to do was have fun with my friends. That, that's all I wanted to do, I swear. I, I thought they were my friends. I, I knew that what they were doing was godless, but I thought if I was there, it would be harmless. Halloween fun. I, I didn't know. I, I didn't know what they wanted to do. I didn't know what they were capable of. I couldn't have known. They always seemed so nice. But they weren't nice. They wanted to hurt me. They wanted to violate my body and sacrifice my soul to the Prince of Darkness. I, I couldn't let them do that, could I? My faith is already under constant attack every moment of every day, and I, I couldn't let them take that from me, could I? The exasperated DA looked on, clearly wanting to object but holding back. Already the judge, clearly sympathetic to Derek's plight, had overruled many of their objections and made it clear that unless they had a slam-dunk argument, anything else they objected to would be similarly shot down. And so, they said nothing as the boy continued telling his tearful tale. Though there were many angry faces in the audience chamber, there were far more who looked on him sympathetically, some of them sniffling themselves as he spoke of his terrifying ordeal. And then there were the two women who sat in the back, one dressed in white, the other in black, both with their feet kicked up on the row of seats in front of them. But we'll get to them in a moment. Derek continued, his voice getting higher and more determined as he blubbered. I shouldn't have done this, only because I shouldn't have had to do this. But I didn't have a choice, did I? I did what I did so I could live. I had to. By the grace of God, I did what I had to do, and I know that it's his judgment that matters most in the end. I'm deeply saddened for those that will miss them that I killed, but they gave me no choice. They were wicked, evil witches in league with Satan himself, carrying out his will in a world that has lost its way. Ill-equipped to deal with his power, mm -hmm. Time in the courtroom slowed to a crawl, and then stopped as everyone froze in place. The boy, with tears streaming down his face and a snot bubble pulsing at the tip of his nose, became a statue immortalized at his least glamorous possible moment. The courtroom itself might well have suddenly become a painting if it weren't for the two women in the back who looked on with exasperation. "'Can you believe this asshole?' the woman in white asked, hopping out of her seat toward the empty aisle behind. She ran a hand through her flowing, golden hair, gritting her perfect, shining teeth in frustration. I mean, can you seriously believe this little fucking shit? She asked, waving to Derek on the stand. He's lying. He's lying about everything, and everyone here is just eating it up because they think he's cute? He's not that cute. Tom Holland is cute. This motherfucker, he's... Sort of cute, the woman in black replied, noisily munching from a box of Cracker Jacks. Nothing exceptional, but he'd turn a head or two on the street even if he weren't a murderer, I'd imagine. And why'd you have to stop it now, Clarice? This was just getting good. Clarice snarled, rounding on the woman who'd been sitting next to her. Because, Malioc, I can't take any more of his fucking shit, okay? I know this world is full of liars and cheats, but when he pretends that he knows more than he does about our lives, takes our boss's names in vain as an excuse for him to get away with mass murder... I can't take it anymore, all right? She sighed, heavily, pinching the bridge of her nose. I need a fucking break. Cheerfully, Malioc hopped from her seat and joined her friend, patting her on the back. Sorry this one's so hard on you. Sure I can't talk you into a cigarette? Maybe snort a rail of brimstone? 
Briefly, a ghost of a smile formed on Clarissa's lips, and that intangible ring of gold above her glorious blonde hair seemed to actually regain some of its glow. But it didn't last terribly long. Soon the smile disappeared, as did the golden ring, and she was back to her same glowery, charming self that she had been throughout much of the trial. You know none of that will help, Clarice said. No, but that doesn't mean I don't want to see you get loaded one of these days, Maliox said. A centipede crawled from one of her muddy boots and made its way up her leg. Reaching down, she caught the bug between her left thumb and forefinger and shook it until it had transformed into an impressively large cigar that she placed between her lips. I'm quite sure this is a no-smoking courtroom, Clarice said, pointing to the sign on the wall behind them. Dude, we've stopped time, and it's a magic cigar. Lighten up, Maliok replied, parting her hair to reveal one of her muted horns and dragging her index finger across its rough surface. Her fingertip ignited, and she lit the cigar with it before shaking it out. Clarice grumbled, looking around the room disgruntled. Well, it's not like this courtroom can get any fucking worse, can it? Oh, it can get worse. It can always get worse, Maliok replied. You should know as well as anyone that this species is capable of discovering new lows at a rate so staggering that even we have difficulty comprehending. They have the capacity for good as well, but they exercise it so infrequently in comparison, Clarice said, frustrated, sparks bursting from her halo as she stormed down the center aisle of the courtroom and screamed, How is it so fucking hard to be good? Maliok shrugged. I blame social media. Fuming, Clarice replied, You blame social media for everything. I live for buzzwords, what can I say? Maliok said, blowing a ring of smoke. The farther it got away from her, the more the ring resembled a glowing, inverted pentagram with a burning goat skull at its center. But sensing that would annoy her co-worker and, quite frankly, friend, even more, Maliok swept it away before Clarice could see it. Anyway, Maliok continued, why, of all the moments in this farce of a trial, did you choose this as the moment to stop time and scream a whole lot of obscenities? Because don't get me wrong, there's never actually a bad moment to do any of that. I just want to know why this moment set you off so. Clarice fumed, bawling and unballing her hands as she closed her eyes and tried to gain a handle on her breathing. Are you telling me that none of this angers you? Clarice asked, wanting to deflect some of her anger towards someone far more capable of processing it. Taking another puff from her cigar, Maliok walked up the aisle toward Clarice. She looked at the faces of the audience, the angry and bitter visages of the families this boy had robbed of their children, and the teary, proud faces of his fans and supporters. There was one woman in particular, middle-aged and with starry eyes, who had been here for every day of the trial. A brief look into her mind said that this woman was one who thought Derek was too cute to be guilty, and that she lusted after him in ways she knew to be wrong but indulged in anyway. She clutched a gold-plated necklace in her hand so tightly the two pendants on it nearly cut into her flesh. Maliok didn't need to look at the pendants to know that one was a cross and one was a silver, scaled replica of an AR-15. Maliok gently stroked the woman's cheek. The simple touch would grant the woman a nightmare every night where she was the victim of a mass shooting in a place that brought her comfort, with fear so real and sharp that she would wake up screaming every time. The only way to end the dreams would be to remove the pendant of the rifle from her necklace, leaving Maliok rather curious for how long the woman would put up with her torment. Finally ready to answer her friend, Maliok said, Of course it makes me angry. 
Everyone seems to think they know what my boss wants, and that everyone they hate must work for him. It irritates me that people are so willing to look for someone else to blame for all the hate in the world because they are terrified to look within and think that they might actually, deep down in the darkest recesses of their hearts, actually hold some hate of their own. She walked to the front of the courtroom, sitting down on the defense attorney's table and kicking her feet up onto the nearest lawyer's shoulders. He sat as still as a statue, unaware of her attention as he stared intently at the witness stand. My boss may not be perfect, but they haven't got the time to have a finger in all of this petty nonsense. Those kids that were killed? They were every bit as much satanic witches as I am Elvis Presley, Maliox said, tapping Ash onto the table bitterly. They were kids, as good and bad as anyone else at their age, who still needed time to figure out how they were supposed to fit in the world. They didn't deserve this. Then why aren't you angry? Clarice asked. Why aren't you storming down the streets, screaming with fucking rage, tearing shit up, and letting everyone know the truth of the fucking matter? Scream! Shout! Tell everyone that Satan had nothing to do with this, and that the only evil in this case... Clarice stood first on her tiptoes, then hovered a few inches above the ground as she glided toward the frozen, crying boy, waving her arm dramatically toward him. She finished. Is this motherfucker? Maliox sighed, eating her cigar in a few exaggerated bites before reaching into the lawyer's pocket and removing a few credit cards from his wallet. Clarice was on the verge of putting her in a foul mood. Maybe a little identity theft would brighten her spirits. Because that's not how any of this works, and you know it, Maliok explained. I appreciate that you're blowing off steam right now, and I say go for it, whatever makes you happier, girl. But at the end of the day, we can't mess with this stuff. Not like that, anyway. Clarice huffed, but knowing the rules every bit as well as her horned friend, she knew there was only so much they could interfere with the world before they got in trouble. And someone from up top, or deep below, interfered and undid everything they could accomplish. Crossing her arms across her chest, she sat down on the prosecutor's table and said, This sucks. Tell me about it, Maliok replied. He's a nice boy from a good family. And white, Clarice interrupted. Oh, of course. Can't forget that. We can never forget that in this country, can we? Maliok proposed with grim amusement. A nice white boy from a good white family who killed a bunch of people who... Don't all match that description. They can afford lawyers enough to ensure the jury is stacked in his favor. And the judge looks at him like he's his long-lost son who he's desperately trying to make nice with at a strained holiday dinner. He's going to get off, go free, and though he'll be vilified by many people, he'll be a hero to many more. He might have a rough couple of years, but then he'll live his life like nothing happened. Or possibly from an elevated position of fame for his actions, because that's just the way of things these days. They don't have to be that way. Clarice glowered. They don't, but they are, Maliok mused, annoyed. A sullen silence passed between them before the golden-haired woman spoke again. He wants to be a cop, Clarice said. Can you fucking believe that? Unhesitatingly, Maliok replied, of course. And he's going to become one too, won't he? Clarice fumed. I wouldn't bet against it, Maliok said. Clarice hopped from the prosecutor's table and hovered over to the witness stand, getting nice and close to the boy's twisted, crying face. It would be so simple, wouldn't it? She said, reaching out for him, then withdrawing her hands with only the shakiest restraint. What would be so simple? Maliok asked, 
fairly certain she knew what her friend meant, but wanting to hear it. It wasn't that often you got to hear someone like Clarice flip out, and it was something she thought she could gain a taste for. We've power, not just the ordinary power wielded by these pitiful men, but astronomical levels of cosmic power that would cause these men's minds to melt at just an idea of its vastness. Between the two of us, holiness and darkness, grace and depravity, it would be so easy to simply take his head in our hands and squeeze it. Watch it pop like a grape as the life drains from his pitiful fucking body. Like I said, simple, no? Clarice proposed, teasing her hands toward his head again before dropping them to her sides with a sigh. It was a pleasant fantasy to talk about, but one that could never be. We could, Maliok said, hopping off the table and strolling over toward her friend. But you know what would happen if the defendant in one of the most watched trials in America's head were to spontaneously explode on the witness stand, right? They'd blame it on. Sighing again, Clarice finished the sentence for her. The witches. Correctamundo, Maliok said, thrusting a finger into the air. And you and I both know that the witches got enough of a bad rap going around these days. No, I won't stand for the persecution of any more witches. Clarice replied, bawling her fists in frustration. I just wish there was something that we could do. By claiming to embrace my boss while deriding yours, he makes both of us look bad while embracing some twisted fucking wickedness. Maliok shook her head. Hey, don't go lumping this guy in with twisted wickedness. In proper doses and with the appropriate level of twist, that can be a lot of fun. This boy here? He's simply a steaming pile of... Shit? Clarice suggested. Couldn't have put it better myself, Maliok said. She climbed up into the witness stand, fighting her own compulsions to do terrible things to Derek in the here and now. Interference with the world of mortals was always something that had been discouraged, but was still mostly left to their discretion as powerful cosmic beings. If they deemed it necessary, they could do all sorts of terrible things to the boy on the stand. But the ramifications could not be ignored. Killing him here would bring the pair of them a temporary measure of pleasure, but it would not solve any of the problems that he represented or inspired. Repeating her friend's own words, Maliok said, This sucks. Clarice rubbed her halo thoughtfully, a few stray sparks bursting from it and sizzling on the ground. Soon it began to grow brighter and brighter, its strength growing in time with Clarice's smile. But it doesn't have to, she said firmly. Curious, Maliok raised an eyebrow. Are we getting back to the subject of head squashing? Because I think we've been over this. No, Clarice exclaimed, excitedly walking over to the jury, then back to Maliok. This doesn't have to be only about head squashing. Even though we must admit that his head is very squashable, Maliok said, looking to his pinched face stained with crocodile tears and lies. Um, yes, of course, Clarice said, waving Maliok's thoughts away. But what are we if not phenomenally powerful? There is plenty that we can do to him that would not reveal our magic and influence. Plenty that we can do to make this right and ensure that his fate is corrected to what is deserved rather than what is expected. Maliok stroked her chin, thoughtful. It could work. Between the two of us, we could likely scare him into recanting his testimony and admitting the truth. For all of his other failings, he does believe in some version of religion, and the simple fear of wrath from either of our sides might settle matters quite simply. Clarice shook her head. I don't think that would work. 
He may claim to hold some religion, but even if one of our bosses showed up personally to tell him the error of his ways, I do not believe he would recant. You may be right, Maliok sighed, considering. She held her palm up, creating a small, swirling vortex of wet, sticky darkness, the foul stench of rot, and screams of the damned. Usually this action would calm her and offer some guidance, but instead it offered nothing but confusion and a distinct lack of answers. We have control over time and space and everything in between, yet cannot undo his murders because that would be too great a violation of what has been. So great that the world itself could not recover from what we would rend asunder. Maliok mused. Fucking rules, Clarice grumbled. Indeed, Maliok agreed. She walked up to the boy, then turned back to look at his lawyers and his picture-perfect family sitting behind them. They looked like something out of a Hallmark movie, a mother and father, each of them pushing fifty but looking good for it. Two younger brothers and a sister who couldn't have been more than five. All of them were similarly blonde and wearing clothes so nice and crisp they might well have been meant for a particularly evangelical church, if said church enjoyed designer labels anyway. And while Derek's mother and father and little sister were crying along with him, his two brothers had similar smug looks to the one he had for much of the trial. It did not take much for Maliok to understand where exactly Derek had come from, especially given his father's boys-will-be-boys attitude behind closed doors and looking at them inspired a kind of disgust that she found herself unused to. An idea formed from this disgust, one that was as delicious as it was devious, and one that she did not think would stretch the rules of what they could and couldn't do too terribly. We cannot make him tell the truth. But perhaps, within our ability, we might be able to coax him into confessing his sins, Maliok suggested. Clarice looked at her counterpart, dubious but intrigued. Go on. Well, Maliok said, grinning mischievously. We're in agreement that, as it is, it's the boy's advantages that are most likely to ensure his freedom in this case, yes? Clarice thought about this, getting an idea of where her friend was going without full certainty of her exact plan. Are you suggesting we subject him to some Job action? Clarice said. Something like it, anyway, Maliok replied. You know that didn't work, right? Clarice asked. Because he had convictions, Maliok said, hopping up to sit on the banister of the witness stand and waving at the defendant. This boy does not, or have we been watching different trials? We have not, Clarice replied, sucking air through her teeth. This is risky. It is, but it will also be fun, Maliok said. I'm not disagreeing with you, Clarice said her voice still full of doubt. We could get in so much fucking trouble for this. We could, but I don't think we will, Maliok said. The way he maligns my boss and misrepresents yours, I think we may get chastised, sure, and maybe even be put on some form of probation for our stretching of protocol, but I do not think it will get worse than that. Clarice could think of a few small infinities worth of ways that it actually could get a lot worse but looking into the teary eyes of this little asshole sitting on the witness stand, she found it easy to ignore these infinities in favor of some divine justice. Her halo brightening at the thought, she said, All right, fine, let's do this. Let's take this nice boy from a good family and see if we can make an honest human being of him. I think we can, Maliok said. 
Though she was hopeful for honesty, she was willing to settle for some pain and suffering. All right, Clarice said, lacing her fingers together and cracking her knuckles before conjuring a swirling ball of comforting white light and pleasant song. Let's fuck him up. Let us, Malioc agreed, her eyes glowing with mischief as she re-summoned another ball of darkness and screams. At once, the windows outside the courtroom dropped into inky blackness as the two powerful entities separated it from traditional understandings of space and time, and brought it into a realm where alterations to the fabric of existence could be more easily made. The two beings clasped their hands over the glowing spheres of energy they had summoned, breaking them up and sending the darkness and the light spilling through the courtroom. Sweeping through every frozen person, examining the very essences of their souls and infusing Clarice and Malioc with cosmic levels of understanding. Soon the lights returned to the women who summoned them, landing in their outstretched hands once more before rejoining them in their being. Clarice glowed with light that called forth glorious white wings from her back, while the darkness that embraced Malioc appeared as black fire given life, accentuating her now longer horns, sharper teeth, and dirty claws. All right? Malioc said, darting her now forked tongue through her jagged teeth. All right, Clarice agreed, flapping her wings once and soaring in a quick, triumphant loop over the courtroom before landing beside her friend. So where do we start? Malioc asked, taking a step toward Derek. The floor tiles cracked beneath her, glowing embers and the smell of sulfur seeping through as she ambled. Clarice stretched her wings luxuriantly enjoying the feeling of freedom that came with them, before dropping them down and saying, Well, the equation we're working with is a nice boy from a good family. And since the nice boy part is going to be the more challenging, how about we first focus on the good family portion? Let us, Malioc said, clapping her hands. The sound echoed through the room, bending darkness and form and pushing aside all but what she needed. Now an island on a boundless, inky void, the table with the defense attorneys, as well as the rows of seats behind them that held Derek's family, floated before Malioc and Clarice, joined not far away by a smaller one that held the boy on the witness stand. So I look at this family, and the first thing I assume is they've got some skeletons in their closet, Clarice said. You assume correctly, Malioc said, blinking her eyes until they glowed an emerald green. Daddy here's got a real estate empire, but his books are, shall we say, dirty. He cheats people, overvalues low-quality properties, and keeps those profits stashed away in a number of hidden bank accounts. Nothing I'd call truly wicked, and if I'm being honest, some of the work he does would be considered quite impressive to my people, but it is something we can use. So, Clarice said, clasping her hands together and generating an ornate clock from her glowing light. Surrounded by the sun and the moon and a glowing, faintly moving star field, the clock bore symbols that could not be read by humans. Symbols that shifted and folded in on themselves and bore constantly changing meanings past most definitions of understanding. Clarice bit her lip for a moment, before grabbing one of these ever-changing characters, and twisted it ever so slightly, sending the clock's five hands spinning backward violently. She continued, If we turn this back a smidge... We can see what will happen if Dad's dirty dealings got some major attention by the kinds of people who wouldn't be happy with him fucking everyone over right about the same time his son was brought up on these charges. On it, Malioc replied, reaching for her chest. 
With a sick cracking sound, she grabbed hold of her ribcage and broke it outwards, revealing a chasm of pulsing, black slime and organs writhing with maggots. Casually, she reached inside and rooted around until she found an ornate, twisting dagger carved from one of her own bones that bore a hilt forged in the shape of thousands of screaming faces, forced together in a simultaneously living and unliving tapestry of agony. Setting her chest back to rights, Malyok threw the dagger blade into where the ground should have been and said, Let's see how good this family is when their fortunes have turned. Pulsing green veins spread across the darkness, replacing the banished courtroom with a glowing emerald chamber of fleshy, throbbing fungus. The tendrils then wrapped around first the boy's family, then his lawyers, and finally the boy himself, with several thin veins burying themselves in his mouth and the corners of his eyes. Once the growth had stopped, a quick wave of darkness, followed by a blast of brilliant light, passed through the space, forcing the veins to retreat into the dagger, and the well-lit courtroom of old to be restored. For all intents and purposes, it looked exactly the same as the frozen courtroom the pair had left behind, but there were some subtle changes that both found worth enjoying. The boy and his family no longer wore nice designer clothes, but rather off-the-rack garments. As well, their team of top-notch defense attorneys had been replaced by a single, more affordable option. An older man with wild eyes who had a reputation for taking hot-button cases more to bolster his own fame in conservative media circles than to actually ensure his clients got off. In similar fashion, the makeup of the jury was entirely changed, with fewer of them looking sympathetic to the boy. The judge was also looking slightly more skeptical of him than he had at any point in the trial that they had witnessed before but still looked like he might be giving him the benefit of the doubt. Though they still have some of their fortune, the past years have been tough for this family, Malyok explained with knowledge of the altered timeline. The government has claimed much of their money, and the father's legal troubles have split his attentions. So focused is he on not going to jail himself that he is less gung-ho about anything else, including his beloved son's safety. He's taken to drinking quite a bit, while his wife has taken up an affair she has considered for a while. The kids know all this, of course, and it is affecting them terribly, but Daddy here cares not. Clarice looked at their work appreciatively, and though she was tempted to wring the father's neck, she did not. It's a start, she admitted, but there's a good distance between this and conviction. Hey, hey, we're just getting warmed up here, Maliok said, cracking her knuckles and summoning the dagger from the floor back into her hand. That clock of yours has plenty of minutes left on it. Let's see what we can do with them. Let us, Clarice agreed, hovering over toward the judge. Anything you can do about him? Malyok asked, eager for a display of what her friend was capable of. I'm sure I can think of something, Clarice said. She opened her mouth wide as if in a scream, but rather than the piercing cry of a being from above, brilliant white light poured out of her mouth in a beam, washing over the judge. The edges of her mouth cracked, and soon the light was also pouring from long fractures in her upper cheeks and from her eyes and nose. Her halo sparked and set her hair ablaze as the light grew brighter and brighter, covering not just the judge, but the boy on the witness stand as well. It became so bright that Malyok had to pull her eyes out to avoid being overtaken by its power. And then, the light retreated back inside of Clarice, and her face returned to normal again. The judge has fallen into a pattern of playing favorites in his later years, but he once believed in justice over all other considerations. I can touch his heart and remind him of who he used to be, 
That should end any of that bias with ease, Clarice said, hovering up and touching the judge's chest. That's one way to do it, Maliox said, reinserting her eyes and gliding over toward the clock. I can also turn the clock back a bit and have our charming defendant actually post that drunken video he recorded saying all those creative things he'd like to do to the judge's family. Couldn't hurt, right? Clarice said with a smile, looking toward the defendant as Maliok manipulated the clock. I mean, it could hurt him, but that's what we're trying to do. Fuck him. Agreed, Maliok said, letting the clock go. Waves of darkness poured through the courtroom toward the judge as the new timeline caught up with the old, and soon the judge's face had gone from skepticism to a scowl. The defendant looked up at him with frightened, watery eyes as his tears suddenly looked more real. These weren't just the tears of someone looking to sway a jury, no. Now he was desperately trying to sway the judge as well. More than this, the prosecution, which had previously had a beaten-down look to them for how the trial had been going, looked more determined and fierier than ever. What Clarice and Maliak had done had not necessarily changed the tide, but removing some of the boys' advantages had certainly brought them some distance closer to an even playing field. How's it looking? Maliak asked. Good. But even if his following has diminished, he still has many admirers, Clarice said, disturbed, glancing out the window to the assembled protesters. Maliak didn't need to think long on a solution for this. Ooh, I can spite his looks. Clarice shook her head. No killing, remember? I wouldn't kill him, Maliak pouted. Just go back in time a little. Give him something. A disease easily defeated, yet one that would horribly scar his face. Remove any trace of cuteness and the threat that poses to society. Oh, yeah, that works. Destroy his face, then. Make it really fucked up. And his balls, too, if you can. He really loves those, Clarice said, taking her seat on the prosecutor's table again. Oh, I'm way ahead of you there, Maliok replied, dragging the glowing clock toward the boy. Hovering next to him, the dark-clad woman leaned over and coughed lightly in his face as she manipulated various characters around the clock face. Dark shapes grew underneath the boy's skin, blackening his eyes and swelling his flesh as vicious pustules burst out over his visible face, neck, and hands. They quickly healed over, leaving him with grotesque, cratered scars and a head that had lost most of its hair. He still wore enough makeup and combed his hair in such a way to cut down on the impact of what had happened to him but he looked more broken than ever. Clarice clapped with pride. That, my friend, is some truly, truly excellent work. Truly excellent. Maliak pushed the clock over to her friend, who considered it for a moment. So, do we do anything else, or press our luck as is? Clarice asked. Maliak thought about this. I think, let's start time a ticking again, and see how it goes. Let's do this. Clarice said, proudly setting the clock aglow and waving it out of existence. Time continued on as if the pair of them hadn't touched it once. The boy still sat on the stand, weeping. He looked a shadow of his former self, his face ravaged with scars, his skin pale and stretched loosely across a body that had lost a lot of weight in a short period of time. His family looked on with some concern, but not nearly as much as before, as their hate had turned against one another rather quickly. He sniffled fiercely, his foggy eyes darting around and briefly settling on Maliok and Clarice. Though there was no reason he should have been able to see them, it seemed distinctly possible in that brief instant that his eyes could pierce their invisibility. The look on his face was difficult to read, 
but the faint flash of fear and defiance that coursed through his body could be felt from even where the two invisible beings stood. I... I did what I had to do, he said weakly, his pitiful eyes dropping down. The witches. It was the witches. They made me do it. And Satan. Satan in their corner. It was their fault. All their fault. Clarice walked up to him, her eyes glowing white as she stared into the boy's soul. Annoyed, Malioc strolled up alongside her friend. She took one look at the boy, at the watery indignation in his eyes that had not left even after all they had done to him. You know what I think, Clarice? Malioc said. What do you think, Malioc? Clarice asked. I don't think we've done enough to this boy yet, Malioc said. No shit, Clarice said, annoyed. You've ideas, I trust, Malioc replied. Grinning, Clarice nodded. Very much so. Awesome, Malioc said, cracking her knuckles. Then let's go to work. After a while, there was very little about Derek Strauss that was recognizable as the boy who had originally sat on the witness stand. Thanks to some creative uses of their clock, Clarice and Malioc had ensured that the boy and his family had had a very busy two years since the massacre. Nearly every scarring illness that could be imagined, and a few that couldn't, ravaged his skin, intermingled with burn scars from an unfortunately unavoidable grease fire. A freak lawnmower accident had taken his eyesight, while his left leg had been removed due to a surgical error while treating one of his many rashes. His family, quite naturally, had been put through a similar ringer. Derek's siblings no longer sat in the gallery, while his mother and father sat in different aisles after a particularly acrimonious divorce. While the father was out on bail for his real estate fraud and the hidden camera videos taken at local public restrooms that had been found on his laptop, he hardly looked interested in his son's fate, clearly sitting here more because it was expected, while his mother was visibly pregnant from the affair she'd been having. The jury and the judge both looked hostile toward the boy, while even his firebrand attorney looked slightly worried to be sitting where he was. Indeed, everything within the courtroom seemed to have changed, save for one simple thing. With a shaky hand, Derek raised his voice box to his throat and spoke. I did what I had to do. They gave me no choice. Annoyed, Clarice waved a hand and brought time to a pause again. This isn't fucking working. I know, Malioc replied. It was supposed to work, Clarice said. I know, Malioc repeated. I guess he's got some convictions after all. Who knew? Convictions don't mean anything if they aren't good convictions. Got any other bright ideas? Clarice asked. Malioc sighed. While she enjoyed torturing those that needed torturing as much as anyone else in her line of work, the boy's persistence was becoming tiresome. She wanted to break him, wanted him to show to the world what an evil shit he was. That was her definition of justice, more than any human jury could ever offer and he was not giving her that satisfaction. There was only one way she saw that they could fix this, but it would bring its own problems to the mix. With a great sense of finality, she said, It doesn't matter what we do, no matter how bad this gets, no matter what tortures and trials we put him through, no matter how much we strip away his body and everything he holds dear, he will sit in defiance and true justice will never find him. The trial can go either way at this point, but we will never truly make him confess. I think... 
it's going to be easier for us to put our efforts toward defending witches and preparing for being chastised by our bosses than it is for us to hope that Derek Strauss finds true justice before he dies. Do you agree? I do agree, Clarice replied, without hesitation. Then I suggest we make all of his evil manifest physically and let nature take its course from there, Maliox said. Clarice's eyes widened, but the slight sparking from her halo spoke to her interest. That's risky, Clarice said. I know, but it might be the only way, Maliox said. I know, Clarice agreed. She closed her eyes for a moment in great thought, then opened them, bright and glowing. Fine. Let's do it. Nodding solemnly, Maliok took her friend's hand in hers, and the two hovered off the ground. What they were doing was a last-ditch effort, an extremity that might cause more problems than it fixed. But they were prepared to face those consequences. Hovering to either side of the boy, each of them kissed him on the cheek, then floated back until they were in the gallery once more. And now, for the fireworks, Maliok said, summoning a tub of popcorn as time continued on its intended path. For a moment, Derek fell silent, his broken mouth lolling as his hand dropped to the side. It seemed thoroughly possible that he might be dead for how slack his body went, but soon that changed. Oh, how it changed. With remarkable agility for his tattered frame, he stood up rigidly on his one leg and screamed so loudly and horribly the windows of the courtroom exploded outward. His body tore as numerous shapes fought to burst from his skin, New, bony limbs, tentacles, masses of stinking, glowing eyeballs and toothy maws that screamed and howled in eight different voices. The audience in the chamber screamed, running for the doors. The Derek Beast, writhing and transforming into ever more horrific, unknowable shapes as the boy's evil manifested in his flesh, turned toward them, shooting out a barbed tongue that impaled his father through the chest and pulled it into one of the boy's bigger, gnashing mouths. Chopping down on his father seemed only to motivate the Derek Beast, as he turned to the nearest shattered window and lumbered toward it, jumping outward and into the screaming crowd of people protesting for his freedom below. Sauntering over to the window, Clarice and Malyonk observed as Derek's evil consumed and mutilated people with pictures of crosses and guns and American flags on their signs. We're going to get in so much trouble for this, Clarice said, turning to her friend. We will. Maliok replied, munching a handful of popcorn. But it's fun for now, isn't it? Quite, Clarice replied, stealing a handful of popcorn for herself with one hand, while wrapping her other arm around her friend's shoulder warmly as they watched the carnage unfold. A Nice Boy from a Good Family was written and performed by Matt Carter. Narration was provided by Fiona J.R. Tichinell. This episode was edited by Matt Carter and Fiona J.R. Tichinell. The Shadow Storyteller's theme, written and performed by Dennis Tichinell. The Shadow Storyteller's artwork by Kristen McQuiggan of Drop Dead Designs. Special thanks to Lisa Onzo and Greg Bowles for the use of their guest room in this recording. For more information on the Shadow Storyteller's podcast and our other fiction works, please visit our website at theshadowstorytellers.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe for more information on upcoming episodes. We hope you had fun, and we'll see you again soon.